<clears throat> Tonight's lesson is the final one in a series in which we have been engaged concerning the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher who ever lived. We mentioned before that it has been said that in all of the New Testament, no circumstance or situation arises which the Lord did not deal with by command or principle in this great sermon on the mount. The constitution of Christianity, it has been called. Think of the magnitude of this marvelous message from the Master. But as we mentioned earlier, quoting the late Eldred Stevens, he said, it is not a sermon to be applauded, but to be applied. And verses 24 through 27 of Matthew chapter 7 stress this point so very clearly. That is that we must be doers of the word and not hearers only. And so tonight we look at chapter 7 beginning at verse 24 through the remainder of this chapter thus concluding the great sermon on the mount. Therefore whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. And following these words are the final two verses, which simply provide the divine commentary on this great sermon. And so it was, when Jesus had ended these sayings, that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. What we learn in these last words of this great sermon is that it is not enough to listen even if our listening is with complete approval. And the parable of the two builders illustrates this point. As we make our way through life, we're building. We're building character. That's the only thing we can take with us into eternity. How tragic it is that most in the world are putting some very shoddy material into their buildings because they're seeking to go through life building a building that is void of any room for God and for Christ. But we have only two choices in life. Jesus reminds us of that here. We can either build upon the teachings of Christ or the traditions and the philosophies of men. And Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 3.11, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. But there's an Old Testament passage that provides a good foundation for our thoughts in the first part of this lesson tonight. It comes from Proverbs chapter 9, verse 1, where the wise man simply states by inspiration, wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out her seven pillars. Listen to it again. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out her seven pillars. You know, seven is a number in Scripture that represents completeness, the perfect number. 
And so I want us to look at seven pillars tonight in the house of the wise builder before we take a look at the foolish builder. The seven pillars in the house of the wise builder. What are they? The first one is poverty of spirit. Right where we should expect the first pillar to be. And as we look at these seven pillars, many of them will provide for us basically a review, a brief summary of the great sermon we are concluding tonight from the Master Teacher. You remember how this sermon began? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poverty of spirit is the first pillar in the house of the wise builder. No worthwhile house, no worthwhile house can stand on a foundation of pride. Remember what the wise man elsewhere declared? Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. There's no way for you to lay the foundation in Christ, the only foundation that is worth having, the only foundation that will lead to eternal life. There's no way to lay that foundation in Christ without this pillar. There has to be the poverty of spirit. There has to be the emptying of yourself and the mourning over the sin that separates you from the Savior and the salvation He offers. That's how the Sermon on the Mount begins. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But the second pillar is perception. We must first perceive or understand the will of God for our lives. We must have a clear perception of the truth. We must purchase that truth and sell it not, as the writer of Proverbs elsewhere points out. Buy the truth and do not sell it. Don't ever sell out on the truth you have been blessed to find and to embrace. Indeed, there have been those who have heard without perceiving. The Lord's words in Mark 4 verse 12 remind us of that so that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. That was descriptive of far too many in the time of our Lord, who had a wonderful golden opportunity to hear the very words of the Master himself from his own lips, and yet hearing they did not perceive, they did not understand. It's tragic that even in today's world there are so many who do not perceive the truth. Why? A variety of reasons could be cited. Prejudice is a tremendous barrier to receiving the truth. Pride goes before a destruction. Haughty spirit before a fall. Pride often stands in the way of one hearing and truly perceiving and then acting upon the truth. Many times it's peers, those who are surrounding us and influencing us away from truth. Sometimes it's even parents. And so it's prejudice and pride and peers and parents and so many other reasons that could be cited as to why many in today's world may have heard, may have come into contact with this precious truth and yet they do not perceive it. And so the second pillar as we build our house of wisdom true wisdom from above is perception. The third is purpose. 
The third pillar in the house of the wise builder is purpose, a high and noble purpose where there is a willingness to sacrifice whatever it takes to succeed cannot fail. It cannot be defeated. We have some secular examples. It is said that William Shakespeare at one time in his life held horses for people for the tips that he could receive from them for holding their horses. But he had a plan and a purpose to become a great playwright. It is said that Abraham Lincoln studied by a pine knot fire at night and said to himself, I'll get ready. Maybe my chance will come. And it did. When we come to Scripture and see a scriptural example of this purpose, we look at Daniel. The young man who was sold into Babylonian captivity was being primed along with his uh, fellow Jews, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, perhaps better known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to, to be of great service in the Babylonian kingdom, but it was going to require compromise. They were going to have to eat and drink those things that were contrary to the law of God. And Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. Daniel 1 and verse 8. He had prepared himself and he purposed when the time came that he was going to glorify God. And it all worked out beautifully for him, didn't it? Our real purpose in life is to glorify God. The writer of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul, reminds us of that as well as the place, the only place in which that glory can be given to God in Ephesians 3.21. When he writes, To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Our whole purpose for living is to glorify God. Paul understood it beautifully, and in Romans 1.14, he declared, I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. He went on to say, So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are also at Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That passage explains your purpose in life if you're a Christian. It explains my purpose in life. If you're not a Christian, it explains your purpose, that is, after becoming a Christian. Become a Christian and then purpose from that day forward to be a debtor to those around you. A debtor to those around you to lead them to what, have, what we have been blessed to receive and what you have been blessed to receive if you're a Christian tonight. Because we're not living here on earth to get... We're living here to give, to give back everything to the one who has given us the hope of eternal life. There is no purpose as grand as that purpose. And then the fourth pillar in the house of the wise builder is purity. And that takes us back to the Beatitudes with which this great sermon began, doesn't it? Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. We must be sure that we have followed the inspired admonition of James, who wrote these words, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, 
and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. James 4, 7 and 8. Purify your hearts. Blessed to the pure in heart. Only those who are will see God. And so in the Christian's house, in the spiritual house, there is not a room called the hypocrisy room. There's no room for hypocrisy in the Christian's spiritual house. And as Brother Leon Cole wrote, if there is anything more disgusting than a counterfeit Christian, we would be hard-pressed to know what it is. It's said that the sea flooded the country of Holland when the dikes gave way. The cause was discovered to be the secret undermining of the earthen walls by what? I call them crawfish. You may call them crayfish. We always called them crawfish. That's what undermined that dike, the eating away by the crawfish of the earthen walls. Impure thoughts, impure deeds undermine character and culminate in the floods of disaster that destroy the soul. Paul wrote, now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart. Love from a pure heart, from a good conscience. And from sincere faith, 1 Timothy 1, 5. And that thought of sincere faith leads us to our next pillar in the house. From purity, we move to persuasion. The fifth pillar is persuasion. In other words, we must be fully persuaded of our purpose in life. Paul used the word this way in 2 Timothy 1, in verse 12. He said, For this reason I also suffer these things, Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Think of Paul's persuasion. Think of his persuasion contrasted with that of Agrippa before whom Paul stood and tried to convict him that the Christ is the Christ. Agrippa said to Paul on that occasion, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. And there's the great old hymn we sing fairly regularly and have all of my life that I remember, almost persuaded, almost persuaded. Can't say for sure, but I would dare say that that hymn grew out of this text. Almost you persuade me to be a Christian. But as some of the words of that great old hymn remind us, almost cannot avail. Almost is but to fail. Sad, sad, that bitter wail. Almost, but lost. Therefore, I have to be persuaded fully. That relates to faith, doesn't it? But the sixth pillar in wisdom's house is perseverance. When we're fully persuaded, when our faith, in other words, is firm, it leads us to perseverance. And there are numerous passages in the New Testament that call us to courage and to perseverance. 
1 Corinthians 16, 13. Paul writes, watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. The same writer in 1 Corinthians 15, 58 declares, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And then Hebrews 3, 12 through 14, where the writer declares, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any one of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. In other words, if we persevere, if we're steadfast to the end. Perseverance, oh, how much the Bible has to say about perseverance, sometimes referred to as patience, and the two words are at times synonymous. Standing up under trial, persevering, that is the sixth pillar. And the final, the seventh, has to be prayer. How can we build wisdom's house without prayer. It's an absolutely crucial part of our house. In fact, the Christian house is doomed to fall without a fervent and faithful prayer life. And that reminds us of some of the earlier statements of our Lord in this great sermon that we are concluding tonight. Back to verse 5 of chapter 6, and when you pray, You should not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. In other words, that's it. They're all they're getting. That's all they're getting is the reward they have from men. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you often. And then he goes on to talk about avoiding vain repetitions, and culminates with, in this manner, therefore pray, and gives us the model prayer. And then over in Matthew 7, 7 through 11, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you, for everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be open, and so on. Oh yes, the Lord in this great sermon we have been studying placed a premium on prayer. And what did Paul write? He put it very succinctly, didn't he, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. And so our seven pillars, the seven pillars that will protect us from the storms of life if, if the proper foundation is in place. But without the proper foundation, our houses will fall. Gets us back to 1 Corinthians 3.11. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. You see, the only house that will pass the final inspection of the great inspector himself is the one with the seven pillars, which is built upon the foundation of the truth of Jesus Christ. Thus Jesus says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house 
on the rock. And when he talks about the rain descending and the floods coming and the winds blowing and beating on that house, surely we can analogize and apply that to the trials of life, the tribulations, the sorrows, the challenges. But if the foundation is secure and the pillars are in place, we can withstand whatever life throws at us. But what about the foolish man? What about the foolish man, described as the one who hears the sayings but does not do them? There are some who build their houses upon the sands of secularism, totally secular. They have no interest whatsoever in the spiritual. They live for the sensual. They live for the secular. They live for the things of this world. It's all about the materialism, the hedonism, everything, the humanism, everything that pertains to a secular existence. And the sands of secularism will not withstand the storms of life and the ultimate judgment of God. Some build upon the sands of sectarianism. In other words, they have embraced the teachings and the traditions of men. And Jesus described them in Matthew 15, 9, when he said, In vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. If you go back to the verses right before the therefore in verse 24 here, you see that demonstrated by Jesus. Remember, what had he just talked about? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Then we're back to our verse tonight, beginning, Therefore... Therefore, he ties it back to these previous verses, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I'll liken him to the wise man. But the one who hears these sayings and does not do them, or builds his house upon the sands of sectarianism, in other words, building upon the foundations of men and the teaching and doctrines of men, to them, tragically, he will say, I never knew you. You know, some are building their houses and even in the church today upon the sands of sensationalism. Many in the church have sold their sound houses, their secure spiritual houses, and they have moved out and moved into sensational dwellings. They love to applaud at baptisms and wave their arms in the air and bring instruments and choirs and many things into the church which God did not command, and borrowing from Jeremiah's words, neither came it into my mind. Jeremiah 31, verse 10. And that's a tragedy. And then some build upon the sands of just plain old slothfulness. Because of laziness, the building decays, the wise man wrote. And through idleness of hands, the house leaks. Ecclesiastes 10, 18. A reminder that we lose what we fail to use. It can be illustrated in many ways. If you want to destroy your garden, 
You don't have to sow weeds in it, do you? Just leave it alone. If you want to break up a home, you don't have to beat your wife. You don't have to be unfaithful to your husband. Just never thank her husbands for all that she does for you every day. Take her for granted completely. Wives, never tell him what a good provider he is and how much you appreciate him. That'll do it, eventually. If you want to ruin your children, you do not have to teach them how to commit crime. Just don't concern yourself with who their friends are or when they come in at night or whether they attend Bible class and worship regularly. And if you want to hinder the Lord's work, you don't have to burn down the church building. Just don't be involved. Don't be regular in attendance at all the services. Don't show your children and others that the church is the most important thing in your life. In Matthew 25, remember the unprofitable servant was not a thief. He did not lie about his failure to put his talent to use. He was right up front with his master when he came back and he said to him, here it is. I preserved it just as you gave it to me. He had not lived a prodigal life. He had not wasted his talent in riotous living. He just did nothing with it. Some in the church are like those described by the preacher who said of those where he preached, the congregation is filled with willing workers. 10% who will work and 90% who are willing to let them work. We must make sure we're not described in that way. And finally, some build upon the sands of selfishness. They're just filled with pride that leads them to swagger before men and strut before the presence of the Almighty who despises such attitudes. Oh, we've run into some in the house-to-house, heart-to-heart mail-out. One man who wrote us back said, you keep sending me these things and I'm going to send you material on atheism. As one brother has put it in the matter of selfishness that leads to division, Brother Leon Cole again wrote, how many churches might never have divided, how many hearts might never have been broken if men had only built with humility instead of pride? And that thought leads us back to the first words of this sermon, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And finally, should we be surprised to read about the reaction of the people to this masterpiece from the master himself? Here it is again. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Matthew seven twenty-eight and 29. You see, Jesus did not do as the scribes of his day. He did not refer to various Jewish scholars in an effort to lend weight to his teaching. The teachings of Christ are the bedrock of all moral and spiritual truth. Life stands or falls based upon our acceptance or our rejection of his teaching. John reminds us the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. And Paul reminds us in 2 Timothy 2, 19, Nevertheless, nevertheless the solid foundation of God stands Having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his, 
and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. To name the name of Christ involves departing from iniquity and doing right. The foundation of God stands. Whether or not our spiritual houses, our lives will stand, the test of the judgment depends upon the foundation upon which they are built and the pillars that we put in place thereafter. Tonight, if you're not a Christian, we plead with you to become one, to begin your life upon that one sure foundation and to add to that beautiful foundation the seven pillars that will complete your spiritual house. You do so by believing that Jesus is the Christ, repenting of your sins, confessing him to be the Christ, and being buried with him in baptism for the remission of sins. If you need to come home as a wayward child to your first love, we plead with you to do so now as we stand to sing to encourage you.